Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, howdy WCC. It's good to see everybody. Um, I did want to mention something about small groups. If you are not a guest and you're not in a small group, there are a ton of people around, so almost anybody near you will be in a small group today. We're going to meet for lunch, so please feel free to join somebody. You can come talk to me or anybody else. I think these times of having lunch together are really great. All right, before I begin the sermon, I want to say something real quick, and I just want to um, publicly say this, publicly thank God just for this church Uh, I've said this many times, we want to take the Lord seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. And I just thank God for for you guys. It's such a joy to come in here and we reverently worship the Lord. You know, we have this liturgy, we recite scripture, we say the Lord's Prayer, things like that. We do all this stuff, but also I can get up here and sing some lines from Imagine by John Lennon. I can be a total goofball and you guys laugh and you put up with my silliness. So anyway, I'm just very thankful for the spirit that God has given this church of, of really wanting to, to reverently worship the Lord, but also not take ourselves seriously. And so it's just a, just a, a joy um, to, to be a part of this body. Uh, I'm just very, very thankful. So occasionally I just want to praise God for that because our Lord is so good to us. I'm just very, very thankful. And I pray that he continues to grow our love for one another and our our, our uh, reverence for him, and again, that we don't take ourselves seriously. All right, under the sermon today, I'm continuing the sermon series on Christianity and culture. So we're thinking about the culture, and I keep saying this, that I want us to understand the culture better than the culture understands itself. And I'm hoping as we go through this series on Christianity and the culture that we'll be able to think about what's happening in our world today, that we'll be able to get beneath the surface And we'll think about how it affects us as Christians. It's not just out there. It has a huge effect on us as well. I want us to be able to spot lies in the culture, also to be able to spot lies that we're believing and we don't even realize it. So in this series, what I'm interested in is thinking about why the things are happening in the culture, why these things are happening. And what I found is when you dig down, when you start looking at the root of these things, a lot of the beliefs about our culture In the culture, a lot of them affect us. And a huge chunk of this has to do with the way we think about ourselves. It's the self. It's the self. It's about God. And so this is what we've been looking at. And and what I found is, thinking about the culture and thinking about how we think and the culture thinks, what I found is it it reveals lies that we've got one slide called culture. And this slide, do we have the one? Yeah, there we go. these actually look a little bit better this week. So this is one called the culture. And one of the things that we've been saying is that in the culture, everything is inward directed. So even love is not directed outward. Love is not about caring about others. And this is what we talked about last week. Even love is defined as me having affectionate feelings, as me having happy feelings. So in our culture, love is not about commitment and sacrifice for the good of others. No, love is about whether people affirm me, whether people allow me to be fulfilled. So love is like satisfying my desires and me having happy feelings. And the example I used last week was the singer Adele in her interview with Oprah last year. 
Adele said she divorced her husband because she wasn't, quote, in love with him. That is, she didn't have the same affectionate, happy feelings for him. And during the interview, Oprah said that other women should be like Adele and put themselves first, put their own happiness first. So so there's things like this, like Adele found the courage to put herself first. She found the courage to choose happiness for herself, to choose self-love. So this is our culture, right? This is the culture, my personal feelings of happiness. That's what the culture says about love. It's about me loving myself. It's all, again, directed inward. And this shows up, and I haven't been addressing this last couple of weeks, but this shows up in things like sexuality and, and gender and all these things. It's all about affirming me and my feelings. And so here's another example. This is the song, The Greatest Love of All by Whitney Houston. Uh, I'm not going to sing this one, okay? Sorry. <laughs> but Whitney, Now, Whitney Houston had one of the most beautiful voices I've ever heard. But the words to this song, I want us to think about those. They're absolutely atrocious, but they're a perfect example of our culture, okay? So here are the words. It says, I decided long ago never to walk in anyone's shadows. If I fail, if I succeed, at least I'll live as I believe, right? No matter what they take from me, they can't take away my dignity. And you can see at the bottom of the slide there, Dignity comes through freedom, me making my own choices, me doing what I want to do. Okay, so the song, consen- the song continues. Unfortunately, the song continues. It says, uh, because, the great- That's what it says. because the greatest love of all is happening to me. I found the greatest love of all inside of me. The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself, it is the greatest love of all. Y'all remember this song? All right, notice everything again is about me. It's all inward directed, loving myself so that I can be happy. The greatest love of all is not loving God and loving other people. The greatest love of all is learning to love yourself. That's what this culture says. It's all inward directed. And the crazy thing is, and this is what I've been trying to stress for a few weeks now, people pretend like living for self and seeking your own happiness, people pretend that this will lead to happiness for everyone. That's the way it is in Disney movies, right? Everybody lives for themselves, and at the end, everybody's happy. That's not the way it works. That's ridiculous, because living for self doesn't lead to happiness for you or anybody else. It leads to conflict, fighting, misery, isolation, because we have difficulty being in community if we're all clamoring for our rights all the time. If we're all fighting to please ourselves, we can't be in community with, lo- with one another. We can't love one another if we're all fighting for our own happiness. That's why in the little chart there, we have these little explosions around all these people and me and God because I'm fighting for something and they're fighting for something, so it leads to conflict and fighting. That's what all the little, little explosions around all there. All right, so here's the reality. All of our relationships, including marriage, it's not about me having happy feelings all the time. Love is about commitment. It's about taking action for the good of someone else, even even when you're not feeling it. And this is what Christianity teaches. This is what is beautiful about what God teaches us in his word. If we could put up the the slide called the true self, if we have that one. Yeah, so I think we have a handout of this. This show, what I like about this, this shows the difference, and it may be too small to see, but this shows the difference between Christianity and culture. So on the right, the culture side, you see that the direction is inward, 
right? The culture side is, is inward toward self. But on the Christianity side, the direction of our lives is not to be inward, and we've talked about this. It's to be upward and outward. It's to be upward toward God, to love God and live for him, and it's to be outward, to love others. So the two greatest commandments, Matthew 22, Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God. And then the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is what we're made for. I'm going to ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at a couple of verses from Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Philippians chapter 2. And we'll look at verse 3. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Paul writes, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Count others more significant than yourselves. This is what God calls us to. I want you to think about this verse. Like, so John Lennon said, imagine if everybody is living for it today, right? Okay, which is hell on earth, honestly. But imagine now if everybody is doing this, if everybody is counting others more significant than themselves. What if every person, say just in a small community, honestly wanted to count others more significant than themselves? What would that look like? What if every person in a church really wanted to care about others more than they cared about themselves. What about even in a family? If everybody in the family wanted to care more about others than cared for themselves. Kids, what if in your family you cared more about your parents than you cared for your kids? Spouses, what if you cared more about your spouse than you care about yourself? So what would that look like? I think all these places would be places, places of peace and joy and love, right? Real love, caring for others, being committed to the good of others. And this is what God calls us to. And that's so, what's so beautiful about the calling that God has placed on our lives. He's called us to die to self, not to please self, but to die to our selfish desires, to live for Christ, and to consider others more important than ourselves. This is what it means to be loving, and this is what God has called us to. So, so this is the question I want to ask is, are we going to do this, or at least are we going to try, right? I mean, the self is going to fight against it. Our sinful selves is going to fight against this. But can we at least try? Now, what I'm going to do is show you something amazing. God has designed this, our world that we live in so that when we truly love others, when we put others first, it does not lead to fighting and conflict and isolation. Instead, it leads to peace and joy and, again, people truly caring for each other and people being, being able to be in community, in families, churches, and friends caring for one another. That's not all. This is the beauty of this as well. Not only does God call us to love others, during the process of us loving others and being in community, God grows us. God grows us. He transforms us. And if we have the slide back on the, the true self slide, if you, if you look on the, the left side there, there's these little things about mold and shape. The mold and shape are pointing in. So it, it's, and on the far side, it says sinful to holy. Far left side, it says sinful to holy, Romans 12, 2. So the goal is to be transformed from being sinful to holy through the renewing of our minds. That's Romans 12, 2. So there's molding and shaping and transformation that's going on to become more holy, to become more obedient, 
become more loving toward God and more loving toward one another. That's the goal of this transformation. If we could go back over to the culture slide, if we have that one. Uh, notice at the top, notice at the top it says, it's talking about identity, and says, it says, I'm not to be changed, I'm not to be transformed unless I choose it. Because my inner self, my inner desires, these are the real me. So for me to be true to myself, I need to be affirmed. I don't need to change. I need to be affirmed. And for me to be authentic, I need to be affirmed by others. So I'm not to be transformed into something else, again, unless that's what I want. So there's very little, honestly, there's very little growth that happens in this scenario of the culture. And others are only here to affirm me in what I am. Now if we go to the slide called Christianity, notice this. Here, God is at the top. God is first priority, and he's where our identity comes from. We're called to love God with everything we have. But also we're called to love others, to, again, to put others before our own desires, to consider others more significant than ourselves. And notice at the bottom of the side, it says God transforms us. He changes us. He molds us and shapes us to become more like Jesus Christ. Jesus in his humanity is what we want to be like. And God grows us to become more like our Lord Jesus. God grows us in love, in holiness, in obedience. He transforms us. He does this primarily through his word and through his Holy Spirit working in us. And then if you look on the left side, it has Philippians 2, 12, and 13. If you're still in Philippians, go down to verses 12 and 13 of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. This is like the classic passage on sanctification, on growing in holiness. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, and here's the command, work out your own salvation, work to grow in holiness, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So we're to work, but then verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good purpose. This is what we call the synergistic understanding of sanctification. Synergistic means working together. So it's God working. He's working in us, but it's also us working. We can't be lazy. We're to work. But God is the one who gives the growth. God is the one ultimately who gives the growth. And and often, the Holy Spirit will help us and begin a period of growth in us. This is what I want us to think about now. Often the Holy Spirit will begin a period of great growth in our lives when the Holy Spirit points out our own sin to us. He reveals our sin to us. And often the Holy Spirit identifies sin in us by pointing to areas in our lives, and this goes again to the culture, the Holy Spirit points to sin in our lives where we're being self-centered. Often the Holy Spirit will reveal to me areas in my life where I'm not counting others more significant than myself, where I'm being self-centered. So as we think through this, this is what I'm doing right now. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will do his work right now of growing us and revealing sin. And so I'm going to ask you to think about this. This is how I kind of want to start thinking about this self-centeredness, and this is one area I want us to think about. Is there any conflict in your life? I just want you to think about it. Is there any conflict in your life right now? I've mentioned many times about how in our culture, our culture is marked by conflict, those little explosions on the chart, right? So there is conflict. So 
those areas of conflict are areas of self-centeredness. So we need to ask ourselves, is there conflict in any area of your life? That's a good place to start. Romans 12, 18 says this. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If possible, it's not always possible. As far as it depends on you, sometimes it depends on other people. But as far as it depends on you, we're called to live at peace with everyone. And what I'm saying is often you can spot sin and self-centeredness by identifying areas of conflict in our lives. Now, in those areas of conflict, it is possible that it's entirely someone else's fault. It honestly can be that. That's possible. But usually it's not likely. Usually those areas of conflict in our lives are areas where we are at least contributing to the conflict by being self-centered. So I would ask, are, are there areas in your life where you see this conflict? And if so, are you contributing to the conflict in any way? In any way. This is 1 Corinthians 13, great passage on love. This is 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5. And it says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. So I would ask... Would people describe you, if you think about these areas of conflict, would people describe you as patient or as kind? Or would they describe you as rude or irritable? Would people say this about you? You know, something that's great about him is he doesn't have to get his way all the time. Or she doesn't have to get her way. If she doesn't get her way, she's fine with that. Would people say that about you? Or would people say, man, if he doesn't get his way, watch out. Because it's going to be scary. Or if, if you don't want to be around her, if she doesn't get her way, is it, you do not want to do that. It's not going to be pretty if she doesn't get her way. My observation is this, that people who are involved in conflicts on a regular basis, usually they're not really loving. Oftentimes they're rude, irritable. They have to get their own way. Now, sometimes it shows up in different personalities, right, in different ways. Sometimes it's loud. Sometimes it's loud. But oftentimes it's very quiet people. They don't get their own way. They'll let you know it but they do it by things like pouting or shutting down or isolating. But, but they want you to know that they're not happy. They want you to know that they're not getting their way and they're not happy. That's sort of how quiet, nice people get their own way. That's not love. That's, again, that's self-centeredness. Sometimes self-centered, unloving people are loud and rude. And they're, again, they're often involved in conflicts and they'll make excuses. Like, yeah, I know I get mad sometimes, but look what they're doing. It's, it's wanting to point to somebody else. Or, or that's, you know, make excuses about who I am. But whether you're, so I'm asking is whether you're quiet or loud about it, are there areas of conflict in your life and are you contributing to those? Are you refusing to count others more significant than yourself? If so, then that's sin. It's sin. Because if you refuse to count others more significant than yourself, then you're engaging again in self-centeredness and it's sin, sin against God. And our tendency is to make excuses for this. We say, that's just my personality, right? Or that's just who I am, or whatever it is. We start making excuses about that. I say, nope, <laughs> that's not good enough. That is not good enough. And I'm praying that even now the Holy Spirit is pointing out some sin right now in your own life. Are you caring for others? Are you thinking about others first? Or are you being self-centered? Which is, again, the way our culture is. And are you trying to excuse it? So remember, it's, it's, it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is the one who, who works. 
The Holy Spirit wants to grow you in love, in holiness. So you're going to let him do his work. Or are you going to put up these barriers to this by making excuses? As I said, often the Holy, Holy Spirit will begin a period of wonderful growth by shining a light and pointing out sin in our own lives. But also notice this. I think if we have the slide up there on, on uh, Christianity, the, the bottom, slide, bottom part of the slide, it says God uses other people in our lives to mold and shape us. I don't want to talk about that for a while. God uses other people in our lives to mold and shape us. God calls us to be in community with others, in our family, in our church. And while we're in community, while we're loving others and counting others more significant than ourselves, something else is happening. It's not just us doing these things. And it's wonderful. God is changing us. He's using others to do this. God uses other people to mold us and shape us to be the kind of people he wants us to be. It's a beautiful design. I'm hoping that through these, this Christianity culture thing, you're seeing that the way the world works doesn't work. It's terrible for everybody. But the way that God has designed the world, for us to care about other people, for them to care about us, he molds us, he transforms us. All these wonderful things are happening. That's what I'm, I'm praying that you're seeing. Do this, turn to, to Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs chapter 27. We'll look at Proverbs 27, 17 first. And actually this is on one of those slides, handouts too. I think both these verses are on there. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Okay, iron sharpens iron, as one man sharpens another. How, how does iron sharpen iron? It's through contact. It's hard contact. So God's telling us, and this is not, it says for men, but this is not just for men. God's telling us that our interactions with one another mold us. They shape us. So God uses others around us to mold and shape us like a hammer hitting a sword or something on an anvil, right? There's a lot of metal, a lot of hardness, a lot of hard contact going on when there's a hammer and anvil and, and a sword involved. A lot of hard contact. But this is how the shaping and the molding and the sharpening occurs. It's the same with us in our own lives. God uses people in our lives to shape us, to mold us into what he wants us to be. And sometimes the contact is hard, right? We're being self-centered. They're being self-centered. We're not putting others first. There's contact. There's conflict and pain. And often it's difficult. But what I want us to remember is that even in those things, God is at work because God is sovereign and he uses these things in our lives. And many times we don't even realize it. In fact, it may be that we're just annoyed, right? We're just flat out annoyed or we're frustrated by these things. But what I'm saying is God is sovereign over that, and he's at work in that. Look at, look at Proverbs 27, 6. Same chapter. It's a great chapter about relationships. There's one about marriage and, and, and husband and wife, but this is one I want us to look at. Proverbs 27, 6, it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So focus on that. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. A true friend should be able to speak truth to you. 
in love. And although it may hurt, it may cause a wound, it's for your good. So faithful are the wounds of a friend. It's like having a cancerous tumor removed. That surgery, that cutting leaves a wound. But when that wound heals, it's good because the tumor's been removed. It's the same way in our relationships. God uses and intends our relationships to help us. God puts friends and family in our lives to help us grow. Oftentimes we are blind to our own sin. And family and faithful friends should be able, I'm talking about this, should be able to take the risk of helping us see our own sin. It may cause a wound, but that tumor of sin needs to be removed. So again, God often uses friends and family to help us grow in holiness in this way. Now, if I inflict a wound on my friend by pointing out sin, I need to do that prayerfully. And I want us to think about this. I need to be careful. Also, if I inflict a wound, I need to let that wound heal. I don't need to be continue cutting on that wound. God calls me to, to wound a friend if I'm seeing him or her, but after I inflict the wound, I need to let it heal. I don't keep bringing it up. Also, if I point out sin in someone I care about, I need to be sure that I'm not ignoring my own sin because we, we can be so blind to our own sin. This is Matthew 7, verses 3 and 5. This is Jesus says this. You probably know this. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye while there is this log in your own eye? And Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So we need to be careful when pointing out sin in someone we love because we may be blind to our own sin. But notice this. Jesus ends that by saying he explicitly tells us to help those we care about to take the speck out of their eye. He doesn't excuse us from that. He doesn't say take the log out of your own eye and then walk away and leave that that speck in your friend's eye. He tells us to help them by taking the speck out of their eye. So if someone we love is stuck in some sin, what I'm saying is what I think Jesus is calling us is he's saying we're not, we're, we're not permitted to just ignore it and act like it's not happening. We're commanded by our Lord to help people we love see their own sin. Now, we need to do this, right? This is the hard part. We need to do this in a spirit of gentleness and humility and love. But still, we need to do it. Because oftentimes we think this, yeah, I clearly see that they're in this sin. But I ain't saying nothing. Because if I say something, she's going to get so mad. I ain't dealing with that, right? That's honestly how we deal with it. Or we say, yes, Lord, I see this sin in this person I love, but I'm going to ignore it because it's going to hurt them if I say something. It's going to cause problems, and I don't want to deal with that. Now think about that. When we do that, do you realize we're doing the same thing the culture says? Because we're caring about our own happiness. I don't want to deal with confronting someone I love about their sin because it's going to make me unhappy. It's going to make me uncomfortable. So again, this is the culture in, in, inflicting on us these wrong desires. And again, it goes to self-centeredness. Okay? I'm thinking like the culture when we do that. Because my own personal happiness is more important than helping someone I love who's in sin. So sometimes we think we're kind of being peacemakers, but really we're just being chicken because we care more about our own happiness rather than caring about this person. And what I'm saying is God wants to use us to help shape each other. But a lot of times we don't want to go through the hassle. We don't want to deal with it. 
because I care more about me being happy than I care about this person. Now, here's the challenge too, right? This is a hard challenge. Am I willing to receive this? Am I willing to receive this from someone who cares about me? Am I willing to have them point out sin in my life? In other words, do I have the guts, do I have the courage to receive that truth, even if it hurts? Do I have the guts to receive that wound? That's the challenge, isn't it? If there's sin in my life and someone who loves me has the courage to approach me and point it out, I should be thankful. I should be thankful to God that there's someone who loves me enough to risk pointing out sin in my own life. It may hurt. It probably will hurt. But that wound inflicted on me to try to get me, to get that tumor of sin out of me, that wound is for my good, for my growth and holiness. If someone cares about me, is willing to help me get this speck out of my eye, right? Now, digging around in my eye is not going to feel good, right? It's going to hurt. But it's for my good. And I should receive that with love. Because, again, God wants to use us in each other's lives. He wants to use us to care about and, and help people we love. God wants to use us to mold and shape each other, right? To make me more loving and obedient and holy and forgiving and kind, the fruit of the Spirit. God wants to use others to help me, and he wants to use me to help others. This is the beauty of the Christian life really lived in community, in the church, in our families. But here's the thing, too, and this is just reality. If others know that I'm going to get angry if someone points out my sin, if others know that I'm going to explode or if I'm quiet, if I'm going to pout or isolate or whatever, if they point out my sin, if they know that, they ain't going to do it. They're just not going to do it. If others know that I'm going to be so hurt and so sad if someone points out my sin because I'm so sensitive and I can't handle it, if they know that, they're not going to do it. So my encouragement is, and I realize this takes guts, takes courage, but my encouragement is this, and Topher said this in one of his sermons, I want others, to, I want others in love to point out my sin. I want, and I want all of us to have that attitude. And I think this is good wisdom too. Okay, think about this. If you're really excited about pointing out someone's sin, then maybe you shouldn't do it. That's probably not a good sign. Maybe you should keep your mouth shut if you really are excited about it. On the other hand, if you really don't want to do it, if you're dreading it, but you probably think you should, to me that sounds like the Lord leading because you're probably in a good place spiritually to do that. And, and I would encourage you to go to people you love and it, to, 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 have the, to have the guts to say this, Pick out some people you love and say, when you see sin in my life, when, not if, when you see sin in my life, please point it out to me. And then you can say this, now please be gentle, right? Please, please do it in a gentle way because it's going to hurt, but please point it out to me. Because I would rather be wounded and have that wound heal and grow in holiness and grow in my love for the Lord and the other people. I would rather have that than me be stuck in some sin against God and not know it. I'd rather be in pain from a wound by, given by someone I love. I'd much rather that happen than have me continuously be in sinning against my Lord who loves me and who wants me to grow in holiness. And he wants to use others in my life to help me. So you can say to others, I want you to point out sin in my life when you see it, please. Again, iron sharpens iron. 
Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Take the speck out of your brother's eye. So do you see how God wants to use each of us to help us all grow? I hope so. Is it painful? Yeah. Is it scary? Yeah. But you know what? Growth, a lot of times growth is painful. It is. Also, a practical way of dealing with this, and I think, I think the conversation may go something like this. It may go something like this. Hey, I want to talk to you about something. I want to talk to you about something, and what I'm going to say it may hurt, and I hate that. I hate that because I don't want you to hurt, but I care about you. And then you can blame me. You can say, Pastor Jeff said to do this, okay? So I'm just doing what he said. But you can say, I love you, and I want to help you, and I want to say this. I see this sin in your life, and it's not good for you, and it's not good for others. And here's what I see. And you tell them, right? And then you can say, I know I'm taking a risk by telling you this, so I hope you'll receive it in love. I hope you'll receive it in love. And if you don't want to respond right now, that's great. If you need time to think and pray about it, that's great. We don't have to hash it out right now. I would just ask you to think about it. And if you ever hear something like this from someone, I would encourage you to say, thank you for pointing that out to me. I know it took courage. So thank you for caring about me by speaking truth to me in love. I'm so thankful. But I need time to think about it. Because whenever you hear this, I don't care who you are. It hurts. And you need time to think about it. And you can say, I need time to, to pray about it and process it because it hurts. But, but you can say, but thank you. But because I know you talk to me about this because you care about me. And you took a risk by doing that. So thank you. But again, I just need some time because it hurts. I think that is a beautiful and God-glorifying way to deal with all this. When God's people truly want to grow in love and holiness, and when they're willing to take risks to help those they love, it's really beautiful. It's just beautiful. When we as followers of Christ are living lives of obedience and love, and we're, we're counting others more significant than ourselves, when we're seeking to kill sin and grow in love, and we're helping and encouraging others, it's just beautiful because it's all done in love. It's upward to God, loving our Lord, and it's outward to others to love others, to help each other grow. These are the greatest commandments, right? Love the Lord and love our neighbors. And it's all done in love. And when we live like this in our families, in our community, in the church, when we're living for Christ, loving him, we love each other, when this happens, it's so much better than anything that the world can offer. It's so much better than anything the culture can offer. Because you remember, our world is one that looks to please self. It's all inward directed. It's all about my happiness and fulfillment. Again, when everyone's trying to live for self, it inevitably leads to fighting and anger and isolation and all that. But as a people of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to something so much better. And God's plan is so much better. Because we're called to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And his kingdom is a kingdom of glory and love. And you know what? As God's people, we're already citizens of that kingdom. Did you know that? You're already a citizen of that kingdom. You're a child of the king. You belong in this kingdom already. So I'm just saying, let's live like it. Let's live like people who are part of this kingdom of glory and love. A kingdom of love, not self-centeredness. A kingdom of holiness, not wickedness. We're called by God to be people who are devoted to our king and who live like our king, King Jesus. And how did Jesus live? Think about this. How did you think, actually think about Jesus? Not just the word Jesus, like think about Jesus. Jesus was not self-focused at all. Jesus had everything, literally everything. He had the universe, but he gave it up for us, his people. 
Jesus is the one who left the palaces of heaven. He's the king, but he left the palaces of heaven to become a man. He became a servant. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The shame of dying on a cross. He did that for us. He humbled himself and entered into our world and walked among us. He entered into our self-centered world. He had everything and he gave it up for us. And although he was the sinless one, he took all our filth upon himself and died the death that we should have died. And he did that to bring us to himself. He was the exact opposite of self-centered. He did all of that out of love. And as citizens of his kingdom, we're called to do the same. We're called to be people who love others, to, to die to self, die to my own selfish desires, to love others, to count others more significant than ourselves. Now, again, here's the thing. It's risky counting others more significant than ourselves, and it? It's risky. It takes courage because when you love, other people can take advantage of you. If you speak truth to someone, even when it's done in love, if, if you want to help someone take the speck out of their own eye, they might get offended. They might get mad. So it's risky. It takes courage to do this. But we can have the courage to do this because our standing with the Lord never changes. We, have, we can have the confidence to take risks for the sake of Christ, for his kingdom. We can have the confidence to truly love because we're secure in his love. We can have confidence resting in his love. We belong to him. My life belongs to Christ. This is my identity. As we said in the Heidelberg Catechism last month, I belong body and soul in life and in death, not to myself. I don't even belong to myself. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's who I belong to. And that's why we can have the courage to, to count others better than ourselves. We can hold our lives very loosely because we belong to Jesus. We belong to him. And that's, that's something I want to stress in this, this series a lot is that we belong to Jesus. That is our identity. I sang a bad song last week. Can I sing a good one this week? I actually sang this at Easter. It's about the guarantee of heaven for the believer and it's about belonging to Christ. And it goes like this at the end. It goes, so weep not for me, my friend, when my time below does end. And then it says this. Here's the key. This is why we can have our confidence to take risks to love others. And it's this. For my life belongs to him who will raise the dead again. My life belongs to Jesus. Your life belongs to Christ. And that's rock solid. And because we belong to Jesus, we can have the confidence to obey him, to trust that he knows what's best for us, and because we belong to him, to have the courage to love others and have the courage to grow in holiness and love. And this is what our God has called us to. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and praise you. I do realize that this message in some way has been hard. I know it's hard for me. When you reveal sin, in many ways it's even harder when other people reveal sin to us. It hurts. But I do pray we would realize that it's for our good. And it's because you love us. And you want us to grow in holiness. You want us to grow in obedience. You want us to grow 
in love for you and in love for other people. So I just pray for my church family here. I pray for all the folks here that we would be people who really want to, to, to kill sin, to lay it aside, to move forward in love and in holiness, to not wallow around in it, to not get stuck in it. Help us, Lord, to, to, to see our own sin and help us, Lord, to, to be willing to, for, for those close to us, to be willing to speak truth in love to help others because we care. We care more about loving you and being obedient to you and loving other people. We care more about that than remaining comfortable. So help us in this, Lord. I know it's hard, but I do pray that we would just remember that we belong to you, Jesus. We were bought with a price. You paid for us. You own us. You're our master and Lord and king. We're citizens of your kingdom. Help us to remember that we belong to you. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to you. And I pray that that would allow us to have the courage to grow in holiness, to grow in love for other people, and to be obedient to you And just in, in, as we fix our eyes on you and want to please you. So we praise you and love you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.